Hello, everyone, or the uh, one or two of you that may listen to this podcast. Uh, my name is Jake Hardiman. I, uh, to give you a little background on me, I was in the Army for about 10 years um, as a combat infantryman and a combat medic. Uh, after that, I got my bachelor's degree in EMS. Uh, currently, I work as a 911 dispatcher and uh, been doing that for about five years. And I'm also the EMS deputy chief on a volunteer fire department in Southwest Iowa. Uh, so I have probably about 15 years of varied experience in uh, leadership and organizational structures. And I've always kind of wanted to talk about that. Uh, just talk about kind of what I've learned and what I've observed. Um, like I said, I've been a part of quite a few different organizational structures from you know the military to going to college as an adult, um, working, you know, entry level jobs as an adult coming from a military background, uh, especially EMS and the fire service. Um, I'm a volunteer, so I don't have any experience with uh, the paid fire service, but, uh, we have sort of similar issues. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about that. I don't really have a script. I don't have a you know, notes or anything like that. I just want to talk uh, today about leadership and the challenges that we face and maybe what you can do to help yourself through those challenges uh, from, from what I've learned. So the first thing that I've learned, um, and this has been true on and off again, I mean, concretely for 15 years, uh, good leaders are very hard to come by. And that's, that's very sad to say, especially, you know, you have a lot of people that try really hard and the sad fact of the matter is that leadership is, it's something that you can learn to be better at, but you definitely know those people that are just natural born leaders when you meet them. Um, and they all have one trait in common. In my opinion, they all care more about the person than completing the task. They all care about their team's welfare more than they do about numbers on a piece of paper or statistics or, you know, percentages. Um, it's very hard to, to put good leadership styles into words. Um, Simon Sinek has a great book called Leaders Eat Last. And that was always a big thing in the military, you know, for your, your team, you would never, ever eat before your team. You would always eat after your guys had eaten. And that was just, it wasn't written down anywhere. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't a pamphlet that we followed. Um, you just ate last, you know, you made sure that your guys got food and were taken care of. And that was just how it was. I mean, I never thought about it then, but, and I never put too much emphasis on it, but I had leaders in the army who were phenomenal leaders. I mean, great guys, uh, guys that I still talk to today. I mean, you know, 10 years after the fact, and like I said, the one thing that they had in common, they were always worried about the men before the mission, right? So they would accomplish the mission, but if you treat your people right, they will work 
like dogs for you. They will walk through the gates of hell for you. Uh, and that's something that it's very hard for, I've noticed, especially civilian people to kind of grasp that because in the army, it's a lifestyle change. I mean, you're in a whole different world. You know, you live that. You, you might be married with kids, but, you know, for 20 hours a day, you're in the army and that's, it's a whole different world. So the army was a little bit easier to kind of learn how to do that stuff and fall into that role because you were being taught all the way through what to do. You know, you would notice bad leaders and you would notice good leaders. I'm definitely not saying that everybody in the army was a good leader. Um, we had our bad apples, but you would always notice those guys. You would notice the ones that would stay with you, you know, when you had to pull some dumb detail, you know, sweeping parking lots or watching a Connex just to make sure that it stayed locked in the middle of a locked parking lot, you know, like, so there was guys that would do that or they would come bring you dinner, you know, when you had to guard something and you couldn't leave they would show you that they didn't forget about you. They didn't forget that you were there. They didn't forget that you, you know, hadn't eaten dinner and that you had been standing there for 10 hours. Um, so those are the guys. Those are the guys that kind of taught me everything I know. Uh, I, I try to be a good leader. I don't think I'm the best leader by any stretch of any imagination, but I try really hard. And I think that's, Point number two, um, as long as you're trying to do the right thing, that's that's super important. You, if you mess up, and I used to tell my medics this all the time, if you mess up and you mess up while you're trying to do something, while you're trying to do something right, do something good, there's, I mean, yeah, there might be discipline involved. Like, okay, we, we might have to take care of that, but it goes over a lot smoother when you mess up doing something, but you're trying to do the right thing that goes, that gets taken into account hugely for me, you know, as an EMS deputy chief, sometimes I have to deal with discipline and I have to deal with protocols and people not following protocols. And like, what do you do, you know, when you're on a fire scene or an EMS call and someone is just blatantly not following the protocol? Well, if it's, life, limb, or eyesight, you know, you got to correct it right then and there. And, and you can't, sometimes you can't really be nice about it. Um, but if it's something that, you know, uh, a good example is during this whole COVID pandemic, you know, we, we have specific masks that we have to wear. You know, we, we have masks that we purchased for every member and that is what you wear on a call. We have extra masks in the squad. So if you forget it, you can wear one of the extra masks. Um, and we had an incident where one of our paramedics, I was with him and he came out of the squad, uh, wearing like a cloth mask basically. Um, and then he changed it to an N95 when I said something, which an N95 is okay, but it's not the mask we were issued to wear. The mask we were issued to wear was actually a little bit better. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation, but either way. You know, I asked him to change his mask out. Well, then he went in the house. He didn't change his mask out. So then when he got back, I kind of said, well, what, 
okay, can you please put a different mask on? You know, and we're on scene. We're still around a patient. So uh, he still did not put a different mask on. Now, the mask that he was wearing, technically, that's fine. Like, okay, as far as safety goes, he's not in any danger there. So in that situation, you can either completely lose it because someone is just blatantly not listening and they're breaking protocol, or you can work through the issue. You can get the call done. You know, his, his life's not in danger. There's, you know, there's no danger to the patient. It's just basically a protocol that we have written that is not being followed. So, you know, the best choice in that situation, you don't need to freak out on scene. Like that is the wor absolute worst thing that anybody can do as a leader is in the moment, freak out, start yelling at people, start throwing stuff. We've had people do that too. Uh, they just get so upset they start throwing things and, and it just everything just disintegrates from there. There's no coming back from that. So when we got back to the station, I asked him, I said, Hey man, what, what do you think a good punishment would be? for you just blatantly not following our protocols. And he kind of looked at me like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I went back and I said, okay, you weren't wearing the right mask. I told you to put the right mask on. You still didn't put the right mask on. Then we, you know, I see you again with the patient. You're still not wearing the right mask. So, you know, what, what do you think would be a good disciplinary action? Cause this is a volunteer department, you know, volunteer departments, there's a little bit different perspective from the members because they're getting paid to be here. They're here of their own free will, heart and mind, you know, and, and so it makes it hard for disciplinary actions because what do you do? So I uh, talked to him and, and I said, you know, you're supposed to be a leader on this department. Paramedics on our department are supposed to be like the medical knowledge guys, then this is a medical protocol. This is an EMS protocol that is not being followed. Um, so him and I talked it out and it turns out I was, I mean, I was very surprised. He's a good kid. I was very surprised that he said, well, I didn't really know there was a difference between the masks. So I didn't, you know, change it because I didn't think there was much of a difference. And I said, okay, well, you know, we can educate you on that. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I tell you to do something, you know, on scene, here we are. If you're told to do something and it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, you need to do it. You know, you don't need, you don't need to try to decide whether you think it's the best decision. I'm telling you to do this. So you need to do it. And he understood that and we moved on from it, but that conflict resolution, it's hard to have. It's hard to, it's really hard in the moment to, rein yourself in from that. Um, so that's, that's one of the hardest things that we can do is try and keep our calm, right? So um, it's, it's, again, that conflict resolution is so important. Um, and it makes it, it makes it hard. You don't really have a good relationship with your guys. If you can't talk to them and say, listen, this is what happened this is what I think went wrong and what do we need to do to fix it? You know, some departments, whether they're volunteer or paid or whatever, you know, you break protocol and that's it. You, you broke protocol. Here's the disciplinary, you know, you get a write up or whatever. 
Um, and that's it. That's there's no, you know, there's no real discussion. Now on the back end, there is actually a lot of, well, maybe we can talk about this before we get to that. You know, maybe we can talk about what exactly happened and what we should do to fix it before we get to written documentation. Cause especially, you know, you don't want that in somebody's file. Some people make mistakes. Like I said, the most important thing, nobody was in danger of anything. It was just breaking protocol, but that can lead to worse things. And I brought that up with him as an example. And I said, listen, if you were standing at the door of a fully involved house fire and, you know, our chief comes over and says, do not go in that house. We're defensive only. Do not go in that house. And you turned around and went in the house. Is that a good thing? Or, you know, did you just break protocol and now you're probably going to get hurt because of it or someone else is going to get hurt because of it? So it's a hard issue to deal with. And when we're, when we talk about leadership and kind of what needs to be done, knowing how people are going to react or kind of, I mean, you can never totally know how someone's going to react, but knowing kind of how they think and, and what their, what their thought process is, is the best phrase, I guess really helps leaders determine what they're going to do because there's several different leadership styles. Um, I used to have leaders in the army who, you know, were just mean, square jawed, just don't, you know, don't get close to anybody. I'm not your friend. And if you think I'm your friend, then you're wrong. And, and they just, you know, heartless was, was the best word. But those guys, those were the guys that you always knew if something went down, like, Hey, that guy's going to be on it. He's going to be with me no BS, no nonsense. I'm not, And one of the benefits of that is they don't care about your personal life. So you don't have to worry about them being upset about something you did. You know, if, if I'm your friend and I'm also your boss and you do something to upset me, well, then if I'm in trouble or if I need help, are you going to have a personal vendetta and say, oh, well, you know, they didn't text me back the other day when I text them. And that's so I'm just going to, you know, screw them. I'm not going to go I'm not going to pull them out of that burning building because they didn't text me back. Like in the back of your head, I mean, that sounds really dumb, but in the back of your head, that's kind of what goes on. So that kind of leadership style where someone is just heartless and there's no connection emotionally, they just, they do their job and they expect you to do yours. There's benefits to that. Now also there's benefits to the leaders that get emotionally attached to their team, you know, because when you're emotionally attached to someone, you're vested. You know, you're going to do things to help the team because it's the right thing to do. You're not just going to you're not just going to leave the team hanging or say, "Oh, well, yeah, I don't really care about them." You know, I I care about people, so I'm going to go the extra mile to help them out because I care. And there's a fine line between that style of leadership and the heartless style, because like I said, they both have their pros and cons. When you get into an emotional attachment style of leadership where, you know, and that, and I feel like that's kind of where I'm at. I try to float the line with both styles. I try to be not attached and, you know, complete the mission, do the job the best I can, but also, 
I really want my people to know that I'll be there for them if they need me, you know, and I'll, I mean, I'll stay late. I'll, I'll help them if they need it. Um, the problem you run into though is with emotional attachment leadership is you can easily get caught up and have a real issue when one of your people all of a sudden decides they don't want to do something and decides that they don't need to listen to you because they're your friend. So it's not that what you're telling them to do is wrong and it's not anything like that, but they just decide, Oh, well we're friends before we're, you know, subordinate and, and leader. Right. So, um, you get into a situation where people think of themselves more as your peer or your friend than they do your subordinate. Right. And that's kind of where emotional attachment leadership falls apart. So there's a very thin line to be danced on right there. You have to make sure that you draw those boundaries and sometimes it just takes a conversation, which leads me to point three, uh, communication. Communication is so important. There is nothing more important for a leader than good communication, right? You can care about people. You can complete the mission. You can have great charts and you can write great dissertations and great papers and you can be the quickest one to email back. And I mean, you can send 500 emails a day that don't say anything. If you don't have good communication skills, life is going to be rough for you as a leader because you have to communicate. You know, we in the army, we would have guys that they just would not, you know, we couldn't do anything without our team leaders permission. So we would be doing something, inventorying something or moving something or do, you know, whatever. And we would need our team leaders permission to do, you know, step three, we would get steps one and two done and we need to know, okay, can we move on to step three now? And do you want us to put it in, you know, a box or B box? And we couldn't get a hold of them. They didn't answer their phone. They didn't text back. You know, we had to go track them down. Uh, and it turns out most of the time they just ignored the calls. Oh yeah. Those guys are just inventories or whatever. It's not important. So it just, it created a whole lot of extra work for nothing. So communication is paramount, paramount to being a good leader. If you can't communicate with your people, then you have failed as a leader. There is, there's no way around it. And I think to be a good communicator, you have to get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. You have to be okay with having uncomfortable conversations. And people will respect you so much more for that. They will respect you so much more for just being willing to have the conversation and put things to bed that need to be put to bed. I've ran into several situations where, you know, I have decisions I have to make or I have something going on and I need to talk to somebody and they don't email back. They don't text back, try and call them. They don't answer their phone. I've sent emails that haven't been answered for like a week. And I mean, this is, you know, these are people that I see like every other day. But then if you bring that up, oh yeah, yeah, we're working on that. Yeah, don't, yeah. No, I, I got to think about that. Yeah. And they just don't want to have the conversation. So that is one thing. If you're just starting out in a position or say you just got on a department, communication is paramount. And it's not just paramount for leaders. 
that's that is a whole load of baloney if someone tells you that only leadership needs to have good communication skills everybody needs to have good communication skills whether you're the lowliest firefighter or you know the fire chief or the director of your department or the manager or you know entry level data clerk you have to have good communication skills and those good communication skills are going to put you on people's radar as the one they can count on right so if you have good communication skills all of a sudden life gets a lot easier because one you can get things done and move on with them you can move on with your life after completing the tasks that you want to complete i run into it a lot where i have 15 tasks i'm trying to do so i say okay i'm going to sit down i'm gonna spend three hours i'm going to do these tasks i'm going to get this done I get to task number three. Okay, well, I got to email so-and-so or I have to call so-and-so and ask them, you know, this two-sentence question uh, that requires maybe a 15-second response. And then I can move on with this. Can't get a hold of them. They don't answer their phone. They don't answer texts. Can't email them. I email them. They don't answer. They don't email back. Uh, so then I'm stuck, right? So I stop and think, okay. I'll, I'll pick this up tomorrow. I'll give him a chance to answer back. I'll pick this up tomorrow. So then tomorrow rolls around. No answer, still no answer. And, and it's because it's an un, it's either an unpopular question or an uncomfortable question. You know, when, when you're in a leadership position, you have to make decisions sometimes and no decision you make is going to 100% benefit everyone at the exact same time. You have to make the decision that's best for the group, best for the organization, best for the people. And those three things will never really line up. So you have to decide which one do I want to do, right? So we have a mission to complete and we need to make a decision that's going to be unpopular, but it's going to allow us to complete our mission. And it'll only upset one person out of 25. Okay. You know, those are okay numbers. You, you don't, you might not want that person to be upset, and you can talk to that person until you're blue in the face about the reasons and this is why and hey, you know, this is where we need to be. This is what we have to do. Um, and that person probably won't still won't understand uh, just because they're they're wanting to be upset about something. You usually have one or two people like that in an organization that they're just going to be upset and you have to be OK with that. So communication hundred percent biggest thing you need to do is communicate. Uh, I want to kind of close out by talking about what it takes to be a good leader. And I think something that a lot of people get wrong or misunderstand, you do not have to be in a leadership position to be a leader. You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. Those are two completely separate things. If you are an entry level person and you do your job and you help your coworkers and you know you set a good example that's basically being a good leader you're you know setting a good example is the basic definition of a good leader is to do the things you need to do do them correctly set a good example for your peers and your subordinates and then everything snowballs right everything picks up off of that because humans feed off of each other's emotions and emotional states, right? If, if someone's doing a crappy job, it doesn't make the other person in the room want to work harder 
because that person is doing a crappy job and causing them to have to do more work. It doesn't work like that. So these people, it's hard for them, right? And if we just realize that anybody can be a good leader and that's how you single yourself out as valuable to the team, right? Because especially millennials, that's what we want. We want to be part of the team. We want to be valuable to the team. And we have to understand that every team, it's it's not just the supervisor that's the leader, right? Everyone on a team can be a leader. And that's what makes that's what makes life so fun when you have a good team like that. You can, you know, there's when we go on fire calls or rescue calls, uh, I'm one of two paramedics on our department and we run about 550 calls a year. Uh, so the medical people on our department get worked. Um, when we go on calls and certain people respond, it's not that I have certain people that I know are just going to do terrible, but I have certain people that I know are going to do great. And I know that when they're there, when they're on scene, this is going to be a good call. This is going to be, you know, I'm going to enjoy this. Um, and it's just because of the way they carry themselves, the way they handle things, the way that they are leaders and they set good examples. So I know that, you know, if we have a cardiac arrest and I'm working that code, I don't have to worry about micromanaging everything that's going on in the room because I've got, you know, this guy over here, I've got this guy over here. These guys are both good leaders and they're going to take care of business. That's invaluable. I mean, it's so hard to find that. So I guess the best advice that I can give is be that person. Be the person that is going to show up on time, going to do their job, going to do it the best that they can and not, you know, bicker and moan about little insignificant things and not try and just do whatever they can to benefit them personally, but they're going to do the right thing. They're going to try and do the right thing. Um, so if you want to be a good leader, again, you don't have to be in a leadership position. You don't have to wait until you get a promotion to start worrying about being a good leader. That can start right now. Uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Have a good day.